Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint is the network built for unlimited with great deals on great devices every day. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Joining us now, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, our good friend David Locke. Hi, David. How are you? Hey, we're doing great, man. It seems like every time uh, we talk to you in the offseason, you're doing something fun. What's the latest? What are you doing? I just got back from Moab, so that would be fun. That would be fun. What'd you do down there, David? Uh, went with three buddies, and we went on a four-day mountain bike trip. I'm getting a little old for that beat. Um, a little beaten up. feel like I might have got hit by a truck today. I may or may not have fallen into a cactus and have all sorts of spines up my butt. Uh, on my butt that I had to pull out. That all sorts of things that reminded me that maybe at 49 years old I don't need to go mountain biking over highly technical hard things anymore. But it was fun. We had a great time. Uh, I was actually thinking back, Gordon. Um, I, we were all in St. George for summer league together, and when I lived in Utah the first time from 22 to 28, I really didn't take advantage of the state well enough. And was having some regrets on that level. I was a little too work focused in those days and didn't head down to didn't head down to Angels Landing and Zion and Bryce and uh, Moab the way I should have. Those places are truly magical. Moab's my favorite of all of them. I just love it there. I have a question for you, David. That's a personal question. It's got nothing to do with anything other than the fact I was going up Big Cottonwood Canyon yesterday and I was trying to remember where that house was. Uh, isn't it a Big Cottonwood? I had a place when I lived here last time. I lived at Big Cottonwood Canyon about uh, 11 miles up the canyon, and we sold it. Um, it was when we moved back. Ironically enough, we moved back into town. We just didn't use it enough, and kids get expensive. Um, <laughs> so there seemed to be some pending expenditures that were going to be heading our direction, and so just a financial freedom a little bit. Sadly, sold that place, but I miss I miss that a lot. Yeah, I drove past and I said, I know that that house was around here somewhere, and we had such a good time going up there. That anyway, it doesn't really matter. But fire pit in the back, hot yeah. oven, beautiful, awesome. beautiful. And by the way, keep riding that mountain bike, man. Remind you, you're alive. Uh, yeah, I had some fears that I might not be alive on that whole enchilada trail that we did. In Moab, I, I thought that might remind me I wasn't alive there for a little while. The, I, I'm, as I said at one point, we were on a lower porcupine single track, and it was like a 2,000 vertical foot drop right off the right-hand side. And I love my wife and kids way too much for this. If I didn't like them, this would be a lot easier. But that, right, that was a little harrowing. David, I know you uh, watched and followed the World Cup very, very closely, and we can talk about Rudy and Joe as well, but I want to talk about Donovan. What are your takeaways from his performance, and what do you think he learned? Uh, I think he learned a lot, and I think it was great for him. I think those were the most important basketball games he's ever played in his life. So in that sense, I think it was really valuable. Um, I saw him do things, jump stop in the lane instead of taking a floater and passing out doing what the jazz coaches call Nash dribbling, where, you, like Steve Nash, you dribble the baseline and come out the other side. Um, you saw him learn how to try to play with talent. Like, he had never played with that much talent before. I think he struggled at times to figure out what his role was. Um, and then I think at the end, you know, he just about willed that team back to a win and maybe showed himself that he was the best player on the field, on the floor for the U.S., and that he shouldn't have been as willing to, you know, be, be subservient to some of the guys at times. And so I think he learned a lot about himself. I think he might have learned he's better than he thinks he is. And I think he probably learned, you know, 
how good he can be, and I think he got better. I think it was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for him. I'm really glad he got to do it. Same question about Rudy Gobert. You know, I didn't watch Rudy as much, and the European game, or the FIBA game, is to Rudy's benefit. So I'm not sure I have as big observation. The one thing I did think, particularly in the U.S. game, um, when Rudy got the ball with a defender between him and the basket, he finished a few times. Outside three feet, Rudy is shooting, you know, in the 30s. And that's an area where his game has to change. He's got to be able to score when there's a defender between him and the basket at some reasonable rate. It doesn't have to be high. It just has to be enough that if somebody switches Harrison Barnes on him, he can go take Harrison Barnes down to the paint and punish him for it. Because there are not a lot of ways to guard this Jazz team. And there's one of two things that teams are going to do. Or one of three things. One is they're going to double the ball handle on the pick and roll to get the ball out of their hands and make Rudy make plays. Two is they're going to switch things. And so Rudy's going to end up with whoever's guarding Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell on him, and he's going to have to be able to punish him. Or three, is they're just going to drop the big with the ball handler all the way to the rim, forcing the Jazz to take some floaters and those kind of shots. And and Rudy's got to get creative as an ability to, to get himself available in those circumstances. And so I think that that's, you know, those are important plays. We saw Rudy dominate the U.S. when they switched smaller players on him. David, maybe this isn't. Uh, the, there's an obvious answer to this question, but I'm curious to see which direction you go. What is the number one storyline you will be following at camp? So the storyline, or like what's most important? Because I think those are two different things. Ooh, we could go. We could go either way. Let's go with what's most important. So the beauty of the way this team has been built, most importantly, is we're going to go as far as Rudy and Donovan take us. Right? To me, the beauty of what Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay and this team at the front office has built is that there's support around those two guys now. And we know generally what Mike Conley and Bojan Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles and Jeff Green and Ed Davis are going to give us on every night. And so because we know those things... What Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are able to do to get better in the prime of their career, our two best players, are going to dictate how far we go. And I think that's what's most important. I don't think it's going to be something that's an obvious storyline early in the season. Um, and so that's why I stayed away. That's why I asked you that. that but that is, that's my thought on what drives this season and is the most important thing, is that our two best players' growth will dictate the season. David, what do you think at the offensive end? Uh, will the structure of the offense be different because of the additions to the team, or will we see a lot of what we've seen in the past from Quinn dialing up certain uh, strategies? I think it's a little bit different. I mean, I think you can be sometimes Quinn was using a lot of activity to cover up weaknesses, and you don't need to cover those up as much because there are less weaknesses. Um, you can come down and sometimes just put Bojan in one corner job. Mike Conley in a pick and roll with Rudy Gobert and let Donovan lift on the weak side and see what the defense does and then start building your game plan out of that. Um, I think Bojan, I don't know how they're going to run their second unit offensively, um, but let's say at times it's Bojan. I mean, he's really a special second unit player and it was great when Victor Oladipo was out. 
Um, he was, He's a much more Kyle Corver, Clay Thompson type action player than people realize. He took 22% of his shots coming off screens. So you'll see more activity there where that offense last year was a Joe Ingles, Derek Favors pick and roll. And I don't think that you can do that with Ed Davis in the same way. Ed Davis is an offensive rebounder. That's his offense and a great pick setter. So you might use him to free Bojan a little bit if that's how they use that um, grouping. Um, so I think that's where things are going to be a little different. Um, I don't know how you – I don't know. I think the, the pairings of who they use together and how they use them together is going to be really interesting. Um, and there's a lot of good answers, and so you got to figure out what the best answers are. David Locke with us, uh, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I asked uh, Bowler this yesterday, David, uh, looking overall at the West, there's been a lot of change, obviously, uh, a lot of moves. Who are you really buying, and who are you a little skeptical on? So I'm buying the Rockets, which is unusual because Westbrook's such an inefficient player, but I really think Harden's that great. I think he's committed to greatness. I think he's one of the might be the best offensive player the game's ever seen. It's not seven feet tall. Um, so I'm buying the Rockets. Uh, I'm buying the Clippers. I'm buying the Nuggets, but maybe a little less than some other people. I think they won't be as motivated as they were. And they had some scheduling benefits, but they're really damn good. And Gary Harris is really good, and he had a bad year last year. Um, I just think there'll be some chemistry issues for the Nuggets. So I think the Nuggets will be better without all the advantages they had last year, so they'll be about the same win total, but they'll be a better team. I'm pretty skeptical on the Lakers. Like, who's the Lakers' third-best player? I got their top two or in the top ten. But who's their third-best player? Got to be Kyle Kuzma? Kuzma is what I would say, yeah. And I'm not sure what I think there yet. And Danny Green? So... You know, if LeBron ages at all, if Anthony Davis really is such a prima donna, I don't know if that's the right word, but he doesn't want to play center again. Um, I'm curious. I think Steph could win the MVP, but I'm a little curious on what the Warriors can do. Um... Who else? Am I forgetting anyone? Oh no! It. I mean, I I kind of like uh, I think Sacramento is up and coming, and I don't, but I don't think they're there yet. I think Dallas will be interesting, but I don't know how that's going to work. But I think you hit the major players. Yeah, I think I'm probably more higher on Dallas right now. I'm going to run some numbers probably tonight or tomorrow. Um, I'm going to. I think I might be higher on Dallas than New Orleans. Like most people's hot team is New Orleans. I might be there with Dallas. Hmm. Instead, I have to look at those rosters a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, I think there's we've got we've got more questions than we want to admit. David, right? like if we go from number one defensively, let's say we go from number one defensively to number six, then we better become a top five offensive team, or else we're not better. Hmm. Well, I fully expect the offense to be uh, pretty lofty. Uh, we'll see. I mean, right? But that's a, I mean, and I do too. I think we're going to be a great offensive team, but that's a lot. Like that's a big ask. What I just asked. Yeah. 
want to wrap this uh, uh, bookended, I guess, with another question about the World Cup, David. You study this stuff, and, and so that's why I ask you. Ricky Rubio played terrific in that World Cup. Um, is does that is that meaningful in any way? Uh, why is he better in that setting than he would be in an NBA setting? So it's probably not meaningful in the sense that Thomas Sadoransky dominated also, right? Like, my feeling on Rubio was you like, perfectly kind of placed where he was. Like, when we played the Knicks and they had no point guard, he'd have, like, a great night. And then when we went, there were some, I mean, Quinn got Rubio through the playoffs in a really fabulous way against OKC, but, like, we saw Russell just beat the hell out of him, and we saw Damian Lillard beat him up, and... You know, we said, like, Rubio's just not that good, right? Like, this is not a criticism of Rubio. I thought he just was, like, nicely placed where he's supposed to be in the league. Like, so he's not as good as Russell Westbrook and Kemba Walker would torch him and, and things like that in the NBA. And so there just aren't those guards in the FIBA World Cup. And so he has, he seems to play better. Now, why does he have more room and what is he able to do differently and, I don't know the answer to that. I didn't see his shooting numbers. If they were actually better, I'd love to dig in a little bit. Um, but some of it is you're just not playing as good a teams every night. And it, it might be a little bit also of a statement like of why like Kemba should have maybe been better or why wasn't Popovich and the coaching staff able to have Kemba and Donovan be more impactful I, I, if Rubio was able to be that impactful. I don't know. David, we always uh, love hearing from you. Thanks so much for jumping on with us, man. My pleasure. Talk to you guys soon. See you, David. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Not that far off. No, it's right around the corner. In fact, we're making plans here as a station, and it's going to be a really big year. And it's going to be a really big year of jazz coverage right here on the Zone Radio Network. It's an interesting discussion, uh, what, he, what David was talking about there, as far as the jazz. Will they slip? How far will they slip defensively? Because offensively, they are definitely going to be a top 10. Uh, and maybe, uh, I think, what do you say, top 5? Yep. Do you think the defense is going to slip from 2 to 6? I think it's possible. Hmm. And he said if they slip to six, then they have to be a top-five offense. It makes sense. But uh, the thing I'll say, though, is if we're talking about the Jazz truly being in contention, you know, most great teams are top ten at least in both. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that they'll, they'll be top ten. They'll be top ten. In offense? There's yes. no doubt? I mean, yeah, I, 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 might, I think they will be. I might predict that too, but I don't know if I would say there's no doubt. Well, all right. And I, I strongly believe that they will be a top 10 offense. I'm curious to see whether they can stay among the top three teams defensively. If they can do that, then this year is going to be something special to yeah, watch. We'll see. The Clippers are going to be really good defensively. Yes. <laughs> is anybody going to score on that team? They are going to be really good defensively. Yep. So if the Jazz could actually be number one, I mean that would really be saying something. But I don't know. I don't know if that's all that realistic. I, I do expect some some slip there. But how much? I, I'm with David. I think that's a that's something to really think about. So if I said the Jazz will be three in defense and five in offense, do they win a title? Mm, they'd have a good shot. But I don't know if that's fair to expect. I wonder how good that. the Clippers are going to be offensively. 
You think pretty good because that's what I love about Kawhi and Paul George. They're two-way yeah. players, mm-hmm. and that's what makes them great.